All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 28. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is what I'll be reading this morning as we continue our series, or actually conclude our series entitled, My Life is Not My Own. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through your Holy Spirit and in the person and work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now that as we spend time in your word, that you would minister to us, that you would open our eyes to the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, his rule and his reign. Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to learn and apply these things in our lives that we might grow more and more like Christ, our King, as well as be more equipped and excited to continue our mission to make disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It's always interesting how we respond when we're following a story uh, and it doesn't go the way we want it to. Uh, sometimes uh, we get pretty upset with that. In fact, you know, some of you might be aware that there's a um, movie version of Downton Abbey out now. And uh, you may or may not see it, but I know there's some people who will not see it. And it's because they're still so mad about something that happened in the early seasons of that show. If you watched Downton Abbey, you might remember that there was a point when a very beloved character died. And uh, basically what happened is the, there, an actor named Dan Stevens, who played a character named Matthew, um, uh, was decided he didn't want to be on the show anymore. He wanted to pursue other projects. And so the writers had to write Matthew's character out of the show. And so they decided to have him die in a car accident. Okay? And that didn't go well. That didn't go over well with Downton Abbey fans. In fact, uh, numerous people wrote letters, emails, um, to the writers, uh, one woman said, you are, quote, killing my soul. Um, and uh, another person suggested that uh, you have ruined our Christmas. Okay. Uh, my personal favorite, one person apparently wrote a very short letter, one sentence, all caps. I am 100% done with this show. I can't breathe. Maybe 
a little bit of overreaction there, but uh, you know, who's to say? It's uh, it's always frustrating when when the story that you're paying attention to doesn't go the way you want it to, right? I, th- I think a lot of us can relate to that. I think we've all experienced those moments watching a movie or reading a book or even a documentary or something, and things aren't going the way we would hope, and it, it it's frustrating. It can be bothersome. I think what that where that comes from is that deep down we all know that this world is not as it should be. Things in this world are not the way they're supposed to be. We're, there's a sadness that we carry over the brokenness of the world. And so we love when a story goes well because it reminds us of hope. It gives us some hope that maybe our story will turn out well or maybe the story of the world will turn out well also. We have that deep longing to know that there's ultimately going to be a happy ending for our story, a happy ending for the story of the world. Will there be a happy ending? For the last few weeks, we've been spending time in our sermon series entitled My Life is Not My Own, thinking about that fact that our lives are not our own. We've been thinking about what Paul says in... 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so there's this reality of of us coming to Christ and trusting him as our savior that he has paid our debt that he's paid for our sins on the cross and reconciled us to God there's a reality that having come alive to that fact we now want to shift more and more from a life that we live for ourselves a self-centered life to a life lived for him a Christ-centered life and as we live our lives for Christ the one who for our sakes died and was raised it it impacts, fundamentally impacts, the major aspects of our life. As we shift from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life, uh, it changes how we worship. We talked about that. Um, it changes how we contribute to and benefit f- from genuine community. We talked about that last week. This morning we're talking about how living for Christ and not for ourselves uh, impacts our understanding of mission, our mission, the church's mission, the purpose we're here um, you know, it's very common for Christians to get stuck in the tragic rut of moralism as if Christianity is really just about a certain set of moral codes that we're trying to adhere to. And that is such a tr- tragically truncated understanding of what Christianity actually is. Because our faith is actually about God's guaranteed plan to bring about this glorious happy ending for all who trust in him, this glorious happy ending for this world, the story of this world. Christianity is about God's rescue plan, rescuing sinners from the judgment they deserve through his son, and then also restoring this broken world and making it more glorious than it ever was. And the reality is when we live for Christ, we become a significant part of how God is bringing renewal to all things. And that's our focus for this morning, that when we live for Christ, we play an immeasurably significant role in God's mission to make all things new. 
Those of us who are living for Christ are playing an immeasurably significant role in God's mission to make all things new. And so we're going to talk about that by talking about three things. I want to talk about the big story that God has written. We're going to pan out, think of the big story and how that plays into this passage here. Second, we'll talk about the big part that we play. Okay, if you know, if you understand the big story, what's happening throughout history, uh, we, we want to understand that we, the followers of Christ, we play a big part in that story. And then we'll, third, we'll talk about the big lie that we often believe, a lie that often prevents us from doing some of the things that God is empowering us to do. So the big story, the big part we play in it, and the big lie we want to flat out reject this morning. All right, let's talk about the big story God has written. Look at it, verse 16 and 17. Okay, verse 16 and 17, and here's, I want us to be thinking about this, that, that God's big plan has always been to bring about the complete renewal of all things through his son, Jesus Christ. That's always been the plan, that God would bring about the complete renewal of all things through Jesus Christ, his son. Now that's not necessarily referenced in this passage, but something that happens is based on that plan. So let's take a look at verses 16 and 17. For context, remember Jesus at this point has gone to the cross, died on the cross to pay for the sins of his people. He was buried, now he's been raised from the dead. And the resurrected Christ now is encountering his disciples. Look at verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is an absolutely colossal moment in the history of everything. Uh, Because what happens in this moment is critically important. You see that the disciples worship Jesus. I love that Matthew mentions that some had doubts, right? A lot of us struggle with doubts. We all do from time to time. But notice here that they're they're worshiping here. They see the resurrected Christ and they worship him. Now it's important that we don't let the sort of modern evangelical uh, way of talking about worship get in the way here. A lot of times, uh, modern evangelicals talk about worship as if it's just singing. Okay, But there's so much more. Worship involves singing, but there's so much more to that. Okay, In this moment, it's not like they worship, they just sang. It's not like Peter grabbed a guitar and they started singing, This is amazing grace. You know, And that would have been okay, because that's part of worship, but that's not what's happening here. They have fallen down to the ground in absolute reverence and and awe of the resurrected Christ standing in front of them. And the reason that they are falling to the ground is because the resurrection proves to them that everything that Jesus talked about is true. It proves to them that he really is God's Messiah, God's Savior sent to save sinners and redeem the world, renew the world, to make all things new. They're seeing the one whom God had always planned would come to begin to inaugurate the kingdom of God. This kingdom that would come to this fallen world and make all things new as it comes 
and comes and comes. So they're seeing this is him. He's the one. He's the real true savior of sinners and the one who will make all things new. And they just worship. They fall down. It's because they're having one of those moments where they realize this changes everything. This changes everything. They knew that nothing could be the same after this. You ever had one of those, this changes everything moments? Um, I talked about uh, in the first service, uh, this man, Wilhelm Conrad Rentgen. Did I get it? People were correcting my pronunciation. Okay, Rentgen, I think is how you pronounce it. And uh, Rentgen was a German physicist who had one of those, this changes everything moments. Um, yeah, Rentgen actually ended up winning the Nobel Prize for physics in 1901. And the reason that he won it is because in 1895, 1895, he was doing some experiments where he was trying to see what happens when you pass electric current through substances of more or less density. Okay, so cool. Um, and uh, eventually, basically what happens is he's primarily working with gases, but what he realizes is when electric current is passed through substances, if there's a more dense substance underneath a less dense substance, there's like a fluorescent effect from the electric current that allows you to see the more dense thing that's under the less dense thing. And so he put his hand in there. And he basically accidentally invented the x-ray machine. He was able to take a photograph and show with great detail his bones underneath his skin. And now if you think about it, in 1895, you better believe he said to himself, this changes everything. This changes everything. Because now you can actually see what's going on with somebody's bones without opening up the skin to see what is underneath. Now, he ended up uh, starting to talk about this. And it's interesting, in um, 1896, in January of 1896, the New York Times had heard of this uh, invention or this discovery, and they, and they, they said, no way. And they criticized Rentgen and said that he's probably uh, not telling the truth. And so Rentgen took a picture, took an x-ray of a woman's hand wearing a ring, and he sent it to the New York Times. And so in February of 1896, they printed a retraction in which they said, actually, it is true. And uh, then everybody got to see this picture, and they realized that, yes, it is real. And the whole medical world was changed forever, because now you could x-ray and see what's going on underneath. And just like the whole medical community saw that and said, this changes everything to a far greater extent. When those disciples who wrestle with doubts just like you and me saw the resurrected Christ standing in front of them, their hearts screamed, this changes everything. And some of us need to have our understanding of Christianity expanded to be that big. To realize that this is the biggest of all big things. This is the king of the kingdom of God standing there in front of them. Proving that he is who he says he is. And he is bringing this kingdom which will transform the world a kingdom of peace and love and grace and purity and wisdom and righteousness, a kingdom in which everything is right 
And he's the king who's going to set everything right. That's this big story that we're a part of. When we put our faith in Christ, we become part of that big story. Not only through having our sins forgiven through faith in Christ, but then we're going to play a part as well. That we would play a significant part in what Jesus is doing to make all things new. So let's talk about that. The big part that we play. We've got the big story, the complete renewal of all things in Christ. And we've got the big part that we play. Look at verses 19 and 20. And uh, so now Jesus has declared he has authority over all things. He's standing there uh, resurrected and they know now he is the one true hero of the world and he's going to make all things new and, and he gives instructions to them teaching us, and here's the point, that a significant part of how Jesus is bringing about the renewal of all things is through the church's efforts to make more and more disciples. Okay? A significant part of how Jesus is bringing about the renewal of all things is through the church's efforts to make more and more disciples. Look at verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus gives his church a mission. Or some might say Jesus gives his mission a church. Either way. Uh, He lays out this plan. Here's the plan. The Savior of the world has a plan. Here it is. Make disciples. And, you know, if we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple or to make disciples, we've got to think about what is a disciple. It's not a word that our culture uses very often. But before we define it, we should start with the fact that everybody is a disciple. Everybody is a disciple of someone or something. Okay? Because a disciple, the Greek word used here, means learner. It means pupil. It means student. It means somebody who is learning how life is supposed to be, uh, what's true, what's not, what we do, what we don't. It's It's... A person who's learning from someone how life is meant to be. That's what a disciple is. And so, for example, a lot of people in our society, in our world, that believe that, no, our lives are our own. My life is my own. I should do whatever I want. The thing about that, though, that's not some original thought. That's a learned worldview. That comes from being a student of relativism or a student of who knows what other thing. It's not that we just came up with that. We've learned that. We've been taught that. And so here's Jesus saying, I want you to make people who are going to learn from me. He's saying he wants people to learn from him. The true hero, rescuer, redeemer, restorer of all things is saying, go train people to learn how life ought to be and how gracious God is and how I want to involve you in the renewal of all things. Go train people to learn all the things from me. That's what he's saying. And that's the church's role. That we would make more and more disciples. That we would be people who learn everything there is to know by looking at Christ and understanding life through the lens of Christ and understanding God through the lens of Christ and understanding what's right and wrong through the lens of Christ. That we would be disciples and then also that we would go tell more people the good news of the gospel with our words and our deeds and then train those who respond in faith how they too can live for Christ and not for themselves and participate in the renewal of all things. Every every organization, every group, every entity that has some sort of goal, 
It has training, right? We've all gone through different trainings. If you've worked anywhere, you've gone through employee, new employee training. There's always training. I was reading about some of the Coast Guard training uh, recently. Coast Guard uh, People in the United States Coast Guard, they, they train pretty hard. In fact, I was, uh, got to watch this thing about uh, this heavy surf rescue training. It's very interesting. How they train people how to rescue people who are in heavy surf. Heavy surf is 20-foot waves. Okay? Um, so how do you do that? And what they do is they take these trainees out in a helicopter and they drop one in the water, and that one gets to be the one being rescued, and then they lower another one down to get them. Okay? Of course, you want to sign up for this right now. Um, and that's how they train these guys. And so there's one particular situation. Uh, these guys had a little uh, problem. See, basically, you have to understand that when you're doing a heavy surf rescue, I learned, you got to time it right. You can't just drop down and grab the guy. you got to go after one wave and before the next 20-foot wave, right? Makes sense. Well, uh, these two guys who were in training uh, didn't time it just right. And when the guy was waiting in the water and the second guy was coming down on the cable, a big 20-foot wave knocked him off the cable. Oh, and ripped the cable out of the helicopter. Okay, so now a training exercise becomes an actual rescue situation. Except as they were in the water trying to uh, recover from this wave, the helicopter left. Didn't have another cable. It couldn't help them. So now they got to spend... Uh, who knows how long trying to stay alive in these waves that are absolutely pummeling them. Um, by the grace of God, less than about 15 minutes later, another helicopter comes, and this time they time it right, right between the waves. They drop down, they grab them all out, and uh, these guys live to tell about it. And what's interesting uh, in what they said when they told about it was that you know the only thing they could do in that moment was just remember their training. But the other thing they indicated was that All this mess they were going through was well worth it because, to quote one of them, there's nothing more important than saving lives. So they knew they were being trained to save people's lives. And here, Jesus' instructions is that we would be trained and train others For the renewal of all things, the making of all things new. Which not only includes saving lives, but far more than that. This is why we take discipleship here at our church very seriously. We want to be people who are learning more and more from Jesus, always learning from Jesus. We want to be people who are running to our neighbors and the nations with the good news that they can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. And that they too can be involved in this ongoing mission to bring renewal to all things, to restore the world. And so we get to be people who not only know we have eternal life for free through faith in Christ, but now he's using us, teaching us, training us so that we too might participate in the renewal of all things as we receive the kingdom that he is bringing. And we will do that. We will, you know, there's all sorts of different ways. That's the thing. It's like there's so many different ways we can be involved in the making of disciples. There's just so many different ways where we live and where we work and where we play and when we're here together on Sunday mornings. There's so many different ways that we can be involved. The question is, will we? Will we actively pursue these opportunities to use the gifts that God has given us, the skills that God has given us, to be involved 
in the church working towards its mission of making disciples. And we will, I believe, as we see in this passage, something that fights against the big lie we tend to believe. So third, let's talk about the big lie. We've got the big story. Christ is renewing all things. We've got the big part we play. Not only have we been forgiven in Christ, but now we're being sent by him to be salt and light and to be making more disciples. We need to push hard against a big lie we tend to believe. Here's the big lie. The big lie that I think I struggle with and I think you struggle with is that, number one, we've got this massive responsibility Jesus is giving us, right? Here's the lie, that you're on your own. That will leave you sitting on the sidelines if you think you are on your own. Because if you think you're on your own, then all that you think about is your incapability. I can't do these things. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle these situations. The beautiful thing here is that because Jesus is with us, we're not alone. And then we are therefore capable by his power of contributing to the renewal of all things. That's what we see here. Because Jesus is with us, we know we're not alone. And therefore we are capable. We can truly do things that literally lead eventually to the renewal of all things. Look at verse 20. Here's where he says it. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Why does that matter? Why is it so important that he gives this big task, right? First he shows that he is who he says he is. Then he gives this huge task. And then he says, I am with you. And the reason is because otherwise we will believe that lie, that I'm on my own and I can't do it. And so he gives us in this verse some heavy artillery to aim right at that lie and blow it out of the water so that we move forward knowing he will guide us, he will empower us, his Holy Spirit's within us to show us what to say, to show us what to do. We just need to show up. Another part of this is realizing that he's not calling any one of us to conquer the world, but rather he's calling us to live faithfully to him in whatever vocation he's called us to in life, and be salt and light in that vocation, and then looking to make disciples, looking to tell people the good news of the gospel, looking to train people how to follow Jesus. None of us is supposed to accomplish this whole thing. We all do just a part, but an immeasurably significant part. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, some of you know that name, he wrote The Lord of the Rings. And uh, he once wrote a little short story called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And um, the story's main character is this man named Niggle, and he, uh, he's an artist. And he was uh, commissioned to paint a mural on the side of City Hall. And so he uh, begins to do that, and he spends his entire career, actually, trying to create this beautiful mural. Uh, it was supposed to be this big, huge tree, a uh, robust and fruitful and colorful, beautiful tree that would inspire many, many people. Well, in this little short story, uh, by the end of um, the story, he's only able to eke out one single leaf, okay? He has this big, huge vision, and he's only, he's only able to finish one little leaf. And then he dies. That's not the end of the story, though. Um, 
what happens next is he's taking a train to heaven. Okay? A little side note. That's not biblical. There's no train to heaven. But for the sake of the story, he's on this train to heaven. And, and out the window, he sees something that looks kind of familiar. And he asks the conductor to stop so he can get out and see it. And he goes, and sure enough, it's a tree. It's actually his tree, but way more beautiful, way more glorious, way more robust, way more fruitful for the whole world to see. And and then he notices that right there in the middle of the tree was his leaf. His one little leaf. And as one author says, it is then that Nigel realizes his little leaf is part of something grand, part of a greater work by a greater artist for the enjoyment and flourishing of a greater and everlasting city. I think the question we can ask ourselves then when we think about this big story and our call to be a, to play a part in it as we fight against this big lie is do we know the little leaf that we're painting? Do we know what that is? Many of us have many ways in which we're seeking to be involved in the making of disciples. But I know that sometimes newer people and sometimes people who've been around for a while don't. And this is such a powerful opportunity for those who are not actively involved in one of the many ways that disciples are made to step forward and to begin painting your leaf, knowing that it's really a part of this big, huge, beautiful picture that God is painting. It's really just a part of the big, huge process through which Christ is bringing the renewal of all things. You see, We want everyone to realize that God has given you abilities. He's given you gifts. He's given you ways in which you too can contribute. And to realize that he's calling you to paint your leaf knowing it's a part of this big story is absolutely huge. So maybe, who knows what it'll be. Maybe um, in the future one day when you look back from heaven and you can see this beautiful picture and there in the middle of the picture is your leaf. Maybe that was teaching Sunday school to third graders. Maybe it was ministering to kids through the Transformers Club. Maybe it was setting up for communion. Maybe it was sharing the gospel with your neighbor repeatedly, repeatedly. Whatever it is, the question is, what will your leaf look like? And then to realize this. We all desperately long for significance. Did you know that? We all desperately long for significance. And there's something about significance that's identical with our reconciliation to God. And that is, we can't get it on our own. We cannot reconcile ourselves to God. That's why Christ came for us, to reconcile us to God, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, so that if we believe in Him, we are forgiven, we're declared righteous, we're promised eternal life. That's for free. That's by grace. But same with significance. None of us could ever work hard enough to be truly significant. It's something that's given to us by God. Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what leaf are you painting? 
And how might it play a role in the big, huge picture that God is painting for this world? I'm excited to find out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality that uh, no matter what happens and no matter what we do, we know that you are bringing renewal to all things. As your word says, Jesus has said, I am making all things new. And Lord Jesus, that you would come and you would die for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be in union with you through faith and then not only know we have eternal life, but also play a significant part in the renewal of all things. That is so beautiful, so powerful. Holy Spirit, help us reject the lie that we can't really accomplish anything or we're not really able to do any of these things. And help us believe the truth that Christ is with us to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to remind us of the gospel. And would you raise up more and more people to serve in our various ministries and other other ways around our city so that more and more disciples would be made and we would see more and more of the kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.